Okay, um, <clears throat> we're going to be looking at Psalm 77 this morning. So if you have your uh, smartphone or your tablet or even a real Bible in your hands, that's where we're going to be going through this morning. And um, in, in choosing this psalm, I, I did have um, some thoughts on this, and, and, and I think it fit with some of the recent things that we've been looking at. Uh, throughout our country and especially within the church as well. So um, I think we'll be encouraged by this. But let me ask you just a, <clears throat> a quick question. When you pick up your Bible or you're reading it on Kindle or however you're going through the scriptures, what kind of book are you reading? Sometimes we forget that it is a compilation of history books into one big history book. And that's why is that important? Well, I'm going to go through that. Why is that critical in our thinking? We're going to get into that. But sometimes we forget that we're reading a history book in general. But it has great meaning for today. So looking at Psalm 77, just the title itself to give you a little background before we get into the meat of this song. Uh, the choir master was a designation that David had given to uh, certain individuals who would oversee all the worship time in the temple. It did the music, it did some of the chanting, did some of the recitations, and, and just different things. So the choir master, when you read that, was the guy who just didn't lead a bunch of people singing. It really was much larger than that. And you can read about that in Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles, if you're curious. Now, the guy's name, Jeduthun, uh, was assigned by David to lead Israel's public worship in the temple. And Asaph, who happened to write this particular song, was the great singer and musician of David during Solomon's time, which we read about in First and Second Chronicles. But it's really funny about Asaph is that he was also designated uh, to sing prophetically in his musical compositions. In fact, he was commanded by David to do that. Um, so when we look at this, there's three individuals who are putting together this particular temple worship song or recitation. It's a collaborative effort between these three men to put together the song, song of Asaph, who had experienced such grief and such sorrow and yet found the God of hope. So if you want to give a message, it's being able to move through personal struggles by moving forward in God. Just if you want to think of a title here. So they put this song together for the benefit of the people of God. Now, we don't know whether uh, Asaph was overcome by sorrow and grief that was personal because of pain on his own or because of the pain uh, that he felt for his nation Israel. But either way, he is being fully expressive and holding nothing back in his language uh, to God. And he's not keeping his pain and sorrow private, but rather sharing it in the community of faith to bring encouragement and hope to others. So this is really why we're doing this synopsis before, is to understand a little bit of the cultural difference between now and then and why this culture in the community of faith was so important to the people's well-being and to the people that were going through individual pain and sorrow. So let's, let's look at the first four verses. And Asaph says, I cry aloud to God. 
And then he repeats it aloud to God. And he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. And in the night, my hands are stretched out without growing weary. And when I remembered God, I moan. My soul refuses to be comforted. And when I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open, and I am so troubled I cannot speak. Asaph makes the emphasis that he cried out loud to God. Literally, it's a strong Hebrew word, which means to just cry with deep weeping. You might call it ugly crying. For those of you that have ugly cried, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I remember watching my grandson when he got married uh, last year. And he's very staid, very emotionally together. But when he saw his bride walking up, man, that was ugly crying. (laughs) And I'm not making fun of him. It's just the, the emotion of the moment just burst out of his heart and his spirit. And it was just a wonderful scene. We cried with him. But this is what the psalmist here, Asaph, is talking about. And this is really a common thought in the Psalms where a songwriter describes his crying out to God and knowing that God heard him, but that he was still confused. Uh, For emphasis, just go ahead and read Psalm 73 if you get a chance, where uh, the writer of that particular song is crying out to God because he sees injustice. He sees, why are the wicked doing so well? Why do the wicked don't seem to have problems? Why is it that they seem they've got everything that they need while the righteous go hungry? And there's this cry of injustice, but then he goes into the house of God and God shows him the end of the wicked. So again, this is so common throughout the Psalms, these uh, imprecatory Psalms, these crying out, uh, you know, very emotive. And sometimes we're not comfortable with emotion in that way. We think very logically, we think in constructs. But this is something that sometimes I think God wants us to be able to get in touch with and to practice. In essence, they're saying here, God, I know you're there. Why won't you help me the way I need to be helped? In short, you ever felt like that? Have you ever experienced that? Days of trouble must be days where we're looking for him and searching for him. It's really essential. In the days of extreme duress, especially when God seems to be withdrawn from us, we must search for him until we find him. In the day of Asaph's trouble, the diversions of work or recreation just didn't cut it. He did not use that inner voice telling him, just shake it off (laughs) to compartmentalize the problem in the pain. But he sought God and his favor for God's grace and mercy to come meet him. When we are so troubled in our souls and in our minds, look, no amount of drink or food or media diversion will cause it to go away. That's the simple truth. But our God, only our God, who can carry it away, is the one that we need to be in contact with, the living God. How bad was it for this poor man? He couldn't sleep at night. 
Any of you deal with sleep problems at night where anxious thoughts are taking you or you're thinking about the next day's responsibilities or you're thinking about your family or thinking about what's ahead for the future? That's what he was doing here. His hands were stretched out at different times all through the night. His soul refused to be comforted. Do do you relate to that at times when no matter what, your, your, your mind, the heart, just will not, refuses to be comforted. His mind and heart were tormented. He remembered God, and yet he was troubled by that. Now, isn't that interesting? He reminded himself about God. He knew God heard him, and yet he was troubled by that very fact. The truth is, is that sometimes that God's ways of justice, holiness, his power, his truth, in short, all the ways of God can sometimes appear to have a dark side from our viewpoint as human beings. This is really important. Because God is not like us. We're, God is trying to make us into his image to be like him. We have distress and trouble when we see things about God or his nature or the ways he's doing things because he's not doing it the way we might do it that we have great trouble and distress. It seems pretty dark. Hopefully I'm not the only one that that finds that. This troubles us very deeply. Here Asaph complained, and yet his spirit was literally overwhelmed. Not just his heart and mind, but his very spirit was downcast, thrown down. He felt like God was holding his eyelids open because he couldn't sleep. You ever seen those torture movies? Again, I like movies, but, you know, where they're holding their eyelids open doing, you know, brain uh, brainwashing and they won't let them sleep. I mean, imagine that. That's that's pretty terrible. That's what he felt like God was doing to him, holding his eyelids open so he couldn't sleep. In fact, he became so troubled he could not even speak. He's reduced to silently crying out. Now, we don't know what he was struggling with, but certainly we can fill in the blanks maybe with some of the devastating uh, circumstances that has hit our life or experiences that some of us has gone through. Or even sometimes even the frightful, terrifying imaginations of what might happen to us in the future that can cause this kind of reaction. Do you ever go into the what-if game? Especially in today's, you know, environment. Well, what if this happens? Or what if this doesn't happen? And all of a sudden, you're kept up at night with these imaginations. Maybe that's what Asaph was going through. Maybe it was a combination of both. We really don't know. And so this is a time when it was so critical that he went back to ancient history for the comfort of God. And that's why it's so important and so vital that we go back to recent or ancient history to listen or watch or read about individuals who are in the same or worse state than us and see what God has done for them. I would encourage you greatly, <coughs> excuse me, should use the elbow, sorry about that, that you go back and, and you either read or you watch uh, on YouTube or videos of individuals who have suffered for their faith or been tortured for their faith and walking with Jesus or followers of God 
and how God took them through those times. It's so crucial that we look back to these individuals and see, did God work for them? What did he do in their lives? How did he come and meet them? And we need to draw strength from that because that is what Asaph is doing here too. Sometimes the words from well-meaning people, when they say, I understand what you're going through. (sighs) I could spend 20 minutes on that one, but I'm not. But it can seem so hurtful and shallow. However, when we know the stories of people that have gone through the agony who were following God and yet come through the other side, that can have such deep meaning to us as individuals, just as it did Asaph. Look at where Asaph finally comes to such extreme anguish. Let's read verses uh, 6 through 9. And again, sorry I didn't have slides. I was trying to make it easy on the team and, and didn't realize they had their act together because they're so incredible. So, again, this is very slide-free today. Um, slip and slide. Okay, anyway. Look at what he says. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night because he used to do that. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search and he goes even deeper into distress will the lord spurn forever and never again be favorable has his steadfast love forever ceased are his promises at an end for all time has god forgotten to be gracious has he in anger shut up his compassion i mean we, we teach couples sometimes in, in counseling to avoid the words never, always, right? You probably know that. But look at how deep in despair this man is. He uses the words never again, forever. Will he spurn me? His steadfast love, is it ceased forever? Are his promises at an end? I mean, this is, this is deep, guys. This is deep. Many times when we call out to God, and there, then there's that sense, you know, there's times when we call out, Lord, come, meet us, uh, touch me, need your help. Sometimes there's that sense that, that he's hurt us. And it brings some peace and hope. But this is not always the case, because we need to be honest about this. Sometimes, especially when we remain in our difficulty, instead of being delivered from it, the sense that God has hurt us and that our trouble remains brings us that much more frustration, not less. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever gone through that? Asaph has. That's why we read the scriptures, to see this and to be able to have honest language to work through the process of grief and sorrow and pain. Asaph here speaks about things that he believes, but that today we rarely feel safe to speak about it. Many believers are hesitant to risk this kind of honesty. But when we consider other scriptures and how honest they are in portraying our frailties and failures, this can literally help us. 
Look at the honesty of Scripture, that it doesn't hide the warts. It doesn't hide the failures of men and women. I love that. Now, I, I'm like you. I, I don't like my failures and, and things exposed. I don't like to look weak. So, you know, I'm with you on that. But God isn't, and neither are these men and women. Think about Peter, who on the night of Jesus' betrayal, at the Last Supper, he looks at all his other mates, and he says, and Jesus has said, you're all going to scatter, and Peter just impulsively says, I don't care about the rest of these dudes. Lord, I'm never going to leave you. And a few short hours later, he denies Jesus three times and walks away weeping bitterly is how the writers of the Gospels portray that. And weeping bitterly, again, is ugly crying of pain. How he must have struggled with that even after the resurrection until Jesus met him and spoke to him and brought him back into a place of forgiveness. Read that passage in John. It's so powerful. Because it was a, it was a temporary insanity. It wasn't a fixed place of denial. It was a temporary insanity from fear and pain. I mean, think about even Jesus on the cross as a man. What did he say on the cross? Crying out loudly before he died. Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? This isn't hyperbole. Jesus felt this. That's why he is such a compassionate savior. That's why he can relate to you and I. Because as a man, God becoming a man. He feels what we feel. He knows what we experience. Now, time constraints prevent me from going too much into the depths about the subject because I really would like to. But I think it's so important that in this time of isolation that we're feeling currently, pain, uh, and whether there's fear and anger, that we need to find ways to confide in those who are trustworthy and share and talk about this. And that we as individuals really need to listen first when people come to us, giving thoughtful, compassionate responses to the deep needs that come our way. James is really clear about this. Be slow to speak, but quick to listen. That's a great exhortation that I think we need to take to heart. Remember, Jesus is described as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And if we're going to walk with him hand in hand, we need to have that same mindset. As the writer of uh, Paul says in Philippians, that, that we have that same mind that is in Christ Jesus. And, and it, it's not easy. It's painful. It's hard. But we need to buck up, just as our Lord Jesus did. Can we really follow him if we're always trying to insulate ourselves from pain and suffering? Just think about that question. Can we really follow him if we're always trying to insulate ourselves from pain and suffering? I don't believe we can. But now Asaph makes a complete change. And I would assume that this is an action of will that probably doesn't have a lot of feelings of positivity. I don't know if that's a word 
but I'm going to use it anyway. But that he remembers the years of God's favor and the history of God's deliverance for his people. So let's read verses 9 through 20, and I'll make some comments. Yeah, give me one second here, guys. There we go. Verses 10 through 20. And then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I'm reading out of the ESV, by the way. I will remember the deeds of the Lord, similar to what we were reading earlier in our meditative time of worship. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old, and I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lit up the world or lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And then he stops the song. He's so lost in rapture as he makes this willful decision to move into remembering what God did. And he's so caught up in that rapture, he ends the song. Because he is remembering a historical fact here. Now, again, certainly probably not because emotion didn't start this. It was an act of will that he did this. When he says... I'm going to call to mind. uh, I'm sorry. I'm going to appeal to the years of the right hand of the Most High. Now, again, just to give a little context on some of this obscure language, the years of the right hand Most High, the right hand of God was considered the place of blessing, the, the, the place of mercy, the place of the extension of God's favor and grace. So, He was calling into mind all the years of God's favor towards him and maybe to his people as well. He remembered what mighty deeds God had done, his wonders. And and sometimes I, I think we get very jaded as to the wonders of God, just being able to see and recognize the wonders and the deeds and the works of God. It's so critical that we Take off the blinders. We're we're sometimes so blasé about the wonders and the acts and the works of God. And yet we need to be awe-stricken. My wife will tell you, I I sometimes hate that word awesome. (laughs) And and I'll I'll be the first one to say I I need to get off the high, you know, the the platform on that word. But awesome means awe-struck. It is awesome. And God is awesome. And that's what he was doing here. He says, your way, O God, is separate. 
Holy, the word holy means distinct, unique, separate. In other words, your way can sometimes not be my way. And he's wanting to get into God's way here and come into this place of holiness with God and being separate to him. Because he said, there's all kinds of gods, but who's great like our God? You've made known your might among the peoples, that your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. So he's going back to one of the most distinctive acts of powerful deliverance when God delivered the nation Israel from the land of Egypt by works of powers and miracles. In fact, beyond, uh, in the scriptures, probably the most um, spoke about act of God is he created the heavens and the earth and everything on the earth. That's probably one of the, the strongest themes that you will find throughout all of scripture. But very, just maybe secondary to that is this wonderful act of redemption, this act of accurate history that God moved powerfully to deliver a million or so men, women, and children from a powerful nation by works of power and judgment. And it's so awesome. Now, again, we've seen movies, I'm sure. You've seen special effects. But could you imagine? Can you imagine standing there feeling trapped against the sea, wherever that was, and thinking, and the people are starting to complain, did you just lead us here to be destroyed by the Egyptian army? And all of a sudden, heaven breaks open and the waters recede. I mean, listen to what it says here, and he's using very descriptive language. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. The deep trembled. Clouds poured out water. Skies gave forth thunder. I mean, he's talking about probably when the Egyptian chariots followed into that depth of sea and everything collapsed on them and how terrible it was and how frightening it was. The whirlwind, the lightnings, the trembling, the shaking. And he says, your way was through the sea. Now, that was not a logical way to go, was it, when they were complaining and thinking they were going to get killed. And God made a way through seemingly impossible situations. And that's what Asaph is talking about here. You're the God of impossible ways. And I want to experience that right now. And yet he says, your footprints were unseen. That's amazing. I love that. That, that terminology he's using here, that language. I didn't see where you carried me, God, because I didn't see your footprints, but you carried us anyway. That's what's so amazing. And that he leads his people like a flock through the hands, in this case, Moses and Aaron. Again, not driving, not whipping like the Egyptians, but rather leading like a flock. back to my notes i hope you're encouraged by this i hope that you're picking things up here all right one voice no i i'm joking i don't want you to loud that's too loud of chanting right all right all right i won't go there i'm sorry i may be up on the platform but i'm not going to use that for that how i feel This is a true and accurate description of history. And Asaph is using that. Asaph and the other writers of Scripture realized that it was so vital to interpret history through God's viewpoint. 
I'll, I'll repeat that. They knew and realized it was so vital to interpret history through God's viewpoint. We need that today. How does God view things? How does God look? What does he feel about those things? And walk in that way. That's why it's so absolutely critical to have that history speak to our present day circumstances. What has God done? When we read these history books, these truths, does it interpret to our present day circumstances? And also what God has said in the past is a powerful assurance of our future. Because that's what Asaph does. He knows because God has done this. Right now, he's going to come meet me in my present circumstances. And I know in the future, I'm going to have assurance of that future. Because the God of my future holds that future. Not just for myself, but all the peoples of God. And so I'm I'm just going to ask a real quick question. What has God done in history for this country? Why is it important that we read history and see what God has done? Also see all the warts and the things that are not good, that are not God. But what has God done? How has God moved people to legislation? How has God moved men and women to do mighty works and acts throughout American history? We're celebrating the 4th of July this weekend. We're celebrating this country we get to live in. What has God done? And being able to actually rejoice in that and interpret today's issues by the power of what God has done in the past, I think is very crucial. The accurate history, really, if you really want to sum it up, is that the accurate history of God the Son breaking into history through the miracle of the virgin birth and taking on human form, identifying with the race of man and becoming the Son of Man is our hope for today and an assurance of tomorrow. Because he made those who he says in in one of the passages, though we were enemies of God, He made us reconciled unto him through the blood of his own son. I don't care who you think your enemies are. God has redeemed us because we were enemies. And that means we can be reconciled to one another. That as daughters and sons, we can march forward. Because in God's viewpoint, He was taking two races that he identifies, first Jews and then Gentiles. He doesn't discriminate who the Gentiles are, which I find very interesting. But he says, I have a plan through my son's death and resurrection by the blood that he's going to join the race of man into one under the kingship and the lordship of my son, Jesus Christ. And that there will be a day where he comes and he rules with righteousness, justice, and truth. That should make us excited. That should give us hope for our future. At whatever part we have to play as followers of Jesus, that we literally are able to move through and forward and be a part of what Jesus has done in reconciliation and peace. 
What time is it? Okay, good. I'm right on target. Thank God. (laughs) I just feel a personal word for us beyond what we've gone through in the scriptures here. Hebrews 10.36 says this, Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that God has promised. Guys, we've been in turmoil for what? Six, seven months. Let's just put it six, seven months, right? Who knows what the future is going to be like and how long we will have to continue doing things that we're not normally with. But I believe that we have need of perseverance. We have need of patience and endurance that we can do what God's desires are in this generation. I would say the word that God says to us is buck up. Strengthen those feeble knees. Lift up your weak arms. Start walking. Start running. Move forward. And deal with the realities of of anguish and pain and sorrow. Be honest about it. Work with friends and people you trust with. But your example of perseverance is going to lead others into a place of perseverance and strengthening. And I would say just as Asaph is an incredible example to us of honesty and language that sometimes we're afraid to use, but God isn't. God doesn't chide Asaph. He doesn't try to correct him. This is scripture. So let's be honest. Let's be truthful. But let's move on and through by remembering what God has done so that he can work in our present so that we can have an assurance for future. So I just encourage you that you will receive all that God has promised if you endure to the end, is what the scripture says. So may God just fully bless and encourage you. May God keep you. May God take you through whatever you're going through. But with a view that, Lord, show me what you have done. In fact, Lord, we're calling out to you. We're asking that you would make yourself known to us that we would see what's going on through your eyes, that we would see through your eyes what you've done in the past, that we can move on into our future, Lord, through you. I just ask that you would strengthen and encourage and lift up, give vision. Let us hear your present word for today, because your, your word of the past speaks today to us and in us and through us. Oh, God, have mercy on this country. Would you bring renewal? Would you bring revival to this country that you might be known and lifted up? God, have mercy on us. We need you. Work your work in today. Meet us where we're at, Lord. Heal us and reconcile us. In Jesus' name, please.